So again, let me say from the outset, stewardship is less about what you and I put in a plate, even though that is part of it. And it's more about how we choose to self-manage our life in a way that generates generosity and more generosity and more life. In this passage that I read um, from 1 Peter, I read that a couple weeks ago, and of course I kind of started this little series called Let's Keep the Main Thing the Main Thing. And one of the first things that Peter talks about is prayer. How do we keep prayer as a main thing, not only in our individual life, but in our corporate life as well? Now, the next one that Paul talks, uh, Peter talks about is, is uh, love. But I jumped ahead to this one because the way Peter wrote that letter didn't coincide with our Sundays, and that's not his problem, that's mine. <laughs> but I thought for this Sunday, why not just for a few moments talk about what does it mean to keep stewardship the main thing? Now, again, that word probably raises all sorts of feelings in a lot of us. We've been through stewardship weekends, stewardship challenges, uh, stewardship seminars. Uh, I once passed at a church that they had pledge drives, and uh, I remember sitting in one of the pledge meetings or one of the finance meetings where they were coming up with the theme for, this, for the new year. And it was, uh, it was, happened to be the year that the movie Jerry Maguire made it big. And one of the committee members said, I think our theme should be, show me the money. And I was like, oh, I pray to God that will not be the theme. <laughs> There's no way that I can preach on show me the money and get away with it in a very tactful way. But obviously I just did right there. So, <laughs> so what is a steward? A steward is one who manages or looks after someone else's property. That's a basic definition. A keeper of the house or some part of the house. In this case, if you will, God's house, all of creation. God's gifts to you and I. God, and this is the thing, God owns it all. Years ago, I, was, I went to Taylor University, which had chapel three times a week. And we would listen. It wasn't mandatory, but we went because they closed everything else down. So where else were you going to go? You couldn't go to the dining hall. You couldn't go to the student center. So you went. Sometimes you did homework. Sometimes you listened. Sometimes you slept. But you were there. But I'll never forget this one speaker. And to this day, what he said has stayed with me. He just in a very quiet, very subtle way, he said, you know what, students? God doesn't owe you. God owns And I had never heard it put that way. God doesn't owe you. God owns you. And as I thought about that, I thought, all of life is a grace then. God doesn't owe me. It's a gift. Everything is a gift. And if God owns it, well, maybe theologically we could argue, but what he was saying was God owns everything. God gifts everything. And so you and I have been made stewards And part of the stewardship is how we can steward wisely and well how God has gifted us. It could be time. It could be our minds. It could be the creation and environment. We talk an awful lot about that. It could be our physical bodies, which I didn't do so well yesterday, so I'm working on that. It could be our intellect and our energy. It could be technology. It could be our work. It could be our money and our finances. Whatever it is, we have been gifted, and we're invited to be stewards in a way that stewards it well. One person puts it this way, true giving is not an economic exchange. It is a generative act. It doesn't subtract from what we have. It multiplies the effect we can have in the world. 
Now, before that guy ever wrote that quote, there was an actual story in the Bible that illustrates this. In the Gospels, it's the feeding of the 5,000. Some has the feeding of the 4,000. But it's this, this moment where Jesus is teaching late into the day. And the disciples are concerned that the folks need to eat. And so the disciples say to Jesus, send the folks away so they can get something to eat. We don't have anything for them. It's getting late. You've gone on long enough, Jesus. They're hungry. Jesus says to them this, you feed them. And they can't fathom this. Because all they have are simply five loaves of bread and two fish. For 5,000 people, it would take a whole day's wages and then some for them just to purchase enough food to feed all these folks. So Jesus says, bring what you have to me. And so they collect up these five loaves of bread and two fish. And the scriptures say that Jesus holds it up to God and he prays for it and he blesses it. He says, now start to distribute it. And they start to distribute the food. And it just keeps going and going and going. And not only is everybody fed, but they have some left over. Now there's all sorts of ways that you could go into the story. There's all sorts of angles you could come into it. But here's my takeaway from this. That this is generative generosity at its best. That when we're willing to offer what we have and possess... However small it may be, God is able to multiply it in ways that brings life beyond what we initially offered. In other words, it doesn't get multiplied unless I give it away. Now this isn't some kind of prosperity gospel kind of thing. I think this is just how life works. The abundance mentality is when we realize there's enough for everybody and we're willing to share. When there's enough for everybody and we're willing to give. When there's enough for everybody and we're willing to let go. And when we do, what we find is what we give away begins to multiply even more. It could be finances. It could be money. It could be time. It could be our, 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 our kindness. It could be our compassion. Whatever it may be. But as we begin to give away what we have, Jesus doesn't have them focus on what they don't have. He has them focus on what? What they do have. And he says to them, just start giving that away. And once you start giving that away, what you'll find, more will be added. And it'll multiply. That's the miracle. I've pastored long enough to know this. Real talk. I've pastored long enough to know this. Churches tend to focus on what they don't have. Rather than focusing on what they do have. That's what I wanted us to focus on this morning what we do have, and what we have been given, and what has been bequeathed to us, if you will, and what has been given to us over the years, and and for the kind of fellowship we have, and, and the group size that we are, this church has done some amazing things, but here's the key, according to what I read in the Gospels, that in order for us to be able to let it multiply, we have to keep giving away what we do have, and focus on what we have, and not focus on what we don't have. Does that make sense? Jesus said, what do you have? Just take what you have now, and start giving that away. And I will make sure that there's enough to go around for everybody. So when I think about the stewardship of life, this is just my, my one, two, or three little points kind of thing. This is what I think about. Just five things very quickly. Stewards of our pocketbook. Enough said. I've talked about that already enough. Stewards of of our money, of our finances. You need to figure that out for yourself. 
You need to figure that for your own individual self. Um, what does that mean? What does that look like? What can you manage? What works for you right now? Linda and I, we do that. We do that for what we think we can do. You do it for what you think you can do. We will be very open and transparent with you, and we trust that you will listen to God and do what God leads you to do as well. Stewards of our purpose. Now, that seems kind of general, but I really believe this, that each of us is called into this life with a purpose. We were designed that way, to have a purpose, to have a mission. And part of us going through life is trying to discern what that purpose is and what that looks like and how it gets lifted out. And what I try to do is to be as good a steward of that purpose God has granted me in my life. Now, how I came to that a few years ago, and I've shared this before, but I'll just share it again very quickly. Lynn and I were, were away for a weekend, and I was reading this book, and she had already gone to bed, and it was late, and, and this author said, it was kind of a personal development, self-help kind of book, and the author said, if you could, if you could um, describe yourself in three words right now and what you want your life to be, what would those three words be? And I kind of rolled my eyes, I thought, oh my goodness, that sounds like all that kind of mumbo-jumbo. And three words just came to my mind right like that. And I was blown away. And ever since that moment, those three words have shaped my purpose. Now, as a pastor, they all start with the same letter because that's what I do. But they're this, to be genuine, to be generative, and to be generous. And generous doesn't always have to do with money. It can be with time. It can be with, with attention. It can be with presence. You get the idea. But my purpose that I have tried to steward is every day, every week, I think of those three words. What can I do to be generous? How can I be generative? What am I doing that's life-giving? And am I showing up as me in this world today as genuine? You've got to figure out your purpose, but steward that. Be a steward of your personhood. And what I mean that is what are your gifts, your talents, your abilities, your calling? Each of us has talents and abilities and skills. We all do. There isn't a person in this world that was, that was brought into this world that has zero talents and abilities. We all have them. We all have natural temperaments and presence that we bring. How can we be good stewards of our own personhood? Be stewards of our place. Now, this is where I talked just a few moments about Deep River. One of the, one of the overwhelming, awesome feelings that I carry sometimes is this. Back in 1754, a group of people came and said, we are going to put a friends meeting here. And then back in 1875, I think I have my dates correct, they said, not only were we going to put a friend's meeting here, we're going to build a building, and this is it. And for 260 years, this place has been here. I don't even know if 260 plus years ago, someone thought, you know, this place is going to be here in 260 years. They just did what they felt led to do in that moment. But each of us has been given this gift of this place. And I do take it as seriously as I can to be a good steward of this place so that in some ways it will outlast me. Some ways it will outlast us. So there will always be a presence in this community that offers simplicity, peace, integrity, community, equality, and service. That's why I like that phrase, everything matters. Let's do what we can to be good stewards of this place so that offers life. And the last thing I would say is this, and this is actually from an author named Frederick Beekner, who says, this is a different way of thinking about stewardship, but he says, be good stewards of our pain, which is something I would have never thought about. But he says, you know, we all bring into life 
some measure of pain. Whether it's a ruptured relationship, whether it's a betrayal, whether it's a disappointment, whatever it may be, but we all go through some level of pain in our life. And he says, being a good steward of our pain is allowing that pain, and I'm going to mix my words here, to be repurposed. So that when our pain is repurposed, we are available to be there for others in a way that maybe someone else can't be. That's the whole genius of the recovery movement. Who better to be with a person who needs help with addiction than a person who's recovering from addiction? They are being good stewards of their pain. Who knows better to be with people when they have had relationships that have have ruptured or have, have been torn apart than someone who's been through that? Who knows better than to be with someone who has experienced tragedy in their life than to be with someone who has gone through that as well? There is no such thing as wasted pain. It can be repurposed into a way that we can steward our pain. And in some ways, it also fits in with our sense of purpose of who we're called to be in this world. Now, all of that was just a very roundabout way to go from A to Z to say, when I thought about this scholarship, to go back to that, I thought about this. When did that start? What year? The scholarship. Oh. 1977? You don't have to tell me the history. We'll go with 2000. Yeah. It started a long time ago. But here's the thing. Someone started that, and it has multiplied. Someone took that seed of generosity and planted it, and look at it now. And now it's become this gift to others that have been able to benefit from it. My takeaway is this. Two things. Number one, what am I going to plant that's going to outlive me? How can I steward my life in a way that will give back? And number two, when I'm a recipient of these gifts, I know it's an old phrase, how can I pay it forward? How can I be the one to keep it going and to keep it moving forward so that it doesn't stop with me? Final quote, and then we'll take a few moments and close. Joanne Chisitor, a wonderful writer um, and nun, offers this. Life is simply the responsibility of each of us to make our own contribution to this ongoing co-creation of the world. God did not finish creation. We are put here to do our part in completing the project. So what else can possibly be worth a life? We've all been put here to help God complete this project. We've all been put here to help God make this a flourishing creation. What's your part? What's my part? It's there somewhere. So how can we live it? And how can we practice it?